Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, God's Word translation. This is part three of a series that we're working on right now. And this today is called the supernatural results of obedience. John, Jonah, yeah, John, Jonah 3.10 says, God saw what they did. He saw that they turned from their wicked ways. So God reconsidered his threat to destroy them and he didn't do it. I hope you've been able to be with us each week of this series. But if you've not, I, I can't go back and recap it all. But I'll go back and just simply say, Week one was titled, A Most Expensive Trip. We talked about what it costs to run from God. Week two, we talked about how that cost is paid. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when God gets your attention and you repent and you stop running and instead start obeying, we're going to show you the supernatural things that happen as a result of making that decision. The reason that those results will be supernatural is because once you surrender to the will of God, he takes over your life. And whatever he does in you from that point on can only be summed up as supernatural. The spiritual things that he does, the changes in the other lives of people that he makes are supernatural when you look back over them. So I want you to notice something with me as we're getting started. I want you to notice the difference between chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3 and chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. If you look at that, each time in those two occasions, the scripture said that the Lord spoke his word to Jonah commanding the following thing in each of those places right each time he said to him leave at once for the important city uh king james says in chapter one verse two cry against them and in chapter three verse two preach unto them and then the listed the the results are listed now he says the same thing to him basically in both places he says go to nineveh do what I tell you to do. Here's the difference. In 1-3, Jonah immediately tried to run from the Lord. But in 3-3, look what happens. Jonah immediately went to Nineveh. Same command. Our God is persistent. Jerry and I were, were visiting this week. We were having lunch and he made a statement. I thought it's very apropos here. He said that one of the lessons he has learned is that until he deals with what God is teaching him at one place, God doesn't let him go to the next. Something to that effect. It was the lesson that you have to learn or the situation that you're in. You can run, you can go 40 days and 40 nights around and around and around, but when you finally get finished running and you come back to obedience, you're going to find that you're going to go right back where the last place was that you weren't willing to do. Does that make sense? This is Jonah. 
The same command, first time, and he runs. Second command, no, he hadn't changed his mind, has he? God hadn't changed his mind. He still wants to save Nineveh. Nothing's changed. But this time, instead of him immediately running, he immediately goes. Now, that's what happens when you have violent storms and big fish in your life. They can cause you to change your mind, cause you to be willing to be obedient. There's no place to run from God. He'll find you. And he found Jonah. And notice this, that since Jonah, he disobeyed and he ran from God, but God still didn't change his mind about Jonah's call. If God called you, and let's say you disobeyed, and you ran from God, and you were rebellious, and you lived a terrible life and did all kinds of crazy things, but now you've repented, and you're saying, well, God can't use me now. You're wrong. I heard a guy say this years ago. He said, God called me early, at an early time in my life, but because I ran from that call, he said, I think that uh, now I'll never be able to see the perfect will of God. I don't agree with that. You may have missed a little bit of time in there, but if God called you until he says something different, the call he gave you is still there, whether you ran or not. God's calling and, God is, and God's gifts are without repentance. It means he, he very rarely changes his mind. If he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he said you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You can run from that and hide from that and disobey that all you want, but eventually it's going to come back around. You're going to find yourself at the same point of calling. After, maybe it takes a storm. Maybe it takes a fish. But when it's all said and done and you're laying up on the bank, if that's what it takes for you, you're still going to hear the same thing you heard before. I want you to do such and such, go someplace and say this. It's still the same. Hmm. The only difference now is that if you ran and if you disobeyed and if you struggled, God's just going to use those years and those mistakes as a part of the process to bring you back to the point of calling. And he'll even use those things as benefits. Now, you look back at your life and some of you came from a life of terrible sin. Some of us did that, didn't we? It's hard for me to look back on those things and say that I was in God's will. I don't think I was in God's will, but I still think God kept me. And I think God knew, he knew I was going to come back. And he used those things that my parents would have prayed I would never experience. He still used those things in ministry because I found myself throughout my ministry being able to relate to people that I would not have been able to relate to had I not been in some of the places they had been. Was it God's will for me to live in sin? No. God saved me when I was seven years old. Had I kept my mind right and my heart right, man, there's no telling what, 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 what that would have led, what that path would have looked like, but I'm still where I'm supposed to be, but able to minister a, to a different group of people than I would have perhaps. So Jonah has finally decided to go to Nineveh. Let's talk about Nineveh for a minute. Nineveh was a large city. It was a huge city. It's the capital city of Assyria. Listen to this. 
Nineveh is 64 miles around. It's a big place. Remember when God said, go to that great city? God wasn't joking. It's a great city. 18 miles long, 14 miles wide. Dake said the walls were about 100 feet high. Let me give you an idea about that. The gym over there, the peak of the gym, the top of the gym is 33 feet tall. The walls of that city were three times the height of our gym. And they were so broad, the tops of those walls were so broad that you could drive three chariots beside each other on the top of that wall around it. That's a pretty big wall. There were 1,500 towers, spaced guard towers, spaced around it with ground between them. 1,500 guard towers. It was a bigger city at that time than was Babylon. It would have taken days. Can you imagine? It would have taken days to walk around that city. I mean, if you were walking fast, somebody do the math. 64 miles around, how many miles a day do you want to walk? And it's a city of 120,000 people. That's almost double the size of Fayetteville. There's a lot of wicked people living in this huge fortified city. Jonah enters the city and he starts preaching. I think he probably enjoyed the message too. Went something like this. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And I'll bet he's having to hide the sheer pleasure of making that statement. He's having to wipe the smile off his face. He's walking around this 64-mile city and everywhere he goes, he's warning these people in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He wanted him to be destroyed, didn't he? You remember that from week one. We won't go back, but he hated these people because they had been wicked and they had been vicious to his own people. They were his people's greatest enemies. So he's calling out this doom and gloom to 120,000 people. In 40 days, you're all going to be dead. He doesn't tell them, but he's even getting ready to pick himself out a good seat to watch it. He can't wait for the sulfur and the fire and the brimstone and everything's going to rain down. He's just being obedient to the call. He's repented and he's doing what God has said. He may not have the right attitude. Sometimes I've had to do that. Have you? I'll do it, Lord, but I don't have to like it. I love you, but I don't have to like it. I'll do it. He's preaching this message. And then something happened. And it shocked him. It had to shock him. I think it certainly disappointed him. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. Look at this. Let me break this down. First of all, the people of Nineveh believed God. That's got to be disappointing to him. He's telling him this and they're all, instead of them all laughing, throwing rocks at him, they're believing him. And secondly, it says they decided to fast. Well, that's not what he's after. Fasting means you're trying to get God's attention. Thirdly, 
everyone from the most important to the least important dressed in sackcloth. This is a sign of humility and repentance to dress in gunny sacks and throw dust on your head was a way of you saying to the world, man, we messed up and we, we repent. In verse 6, number 4, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his robe, he put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Verse 7, number 5, then the king made an announcement, sent it throughout the city, said this is an order from the king and his nobles. No one is to eat or drink anything. This includes all people, animals, cattle, and sheep. We're going on a fast, he said. Even the cows are going to fast with us. I never heard of anything like that. I've never heard of any other culture. I've heard a lot of people fast. And I've heard of declaring a fast, but I'll tell you something. That even I've never heard of anybody making the chickens and the hogs fast when they did. We're all fasting, he says. That had to get God's attention. Verse 8, every person, an animal, must put on sackcloth. Can you imagine after trying to put gunny sacks on the hogs? Chasing the sheep around, wrapping up sackcloth and telling me all are fasting for a little while. Number six, King said, and cry loudly to God for help. Turn from your wicked ways and your acts of violence. Who knows? Maybe God will reconsider his plans. Turn from his burning anger so that we won't die. Wow, if you're taking notes, you know what you need to write down right there? Write down prayer moves God. Prayer moves God and it can cause change. True humility and prayer moves the hand of God. That's why we pray. You'd think, wow, Jonah must be thrilled. And why would he be thrilled? Well, he hated the people. But, wow, if the whole city's going to get saved, that means they won't be enemies anymore and they won't be mean to his folks. This has got to be thrilling. This has got to be very exciting. Well, We'll see later on whether that's his sentiment about this or not. But it's a beautiful victory for the whole Jewish nation, whether they recognize it or not, because their enemies have turned from their wickedness and their violence. I want to get back to what God's doing. God's doing a a supernatural work in the lives of an entire city. And he's using Jonah to do it. Jonah's back in the ministry. Look at this. He's back in God's will. God's word's being preached. It's not returning void. It's accomplishing that what, what it was sent for to do because the scripture says that Nineveh, from the, from the greatest to the least, from the top to the bottom, is convicted, is repentant, is fasting and praying. God hears them and he forgives them and he saves them and he changes their hearts just like he always does when the worst of us repent. In any of us, no matter how far away we've been from God, no matter what we've done, God forgives us when we repent. All of us, no matter how terrible you've been, these these Ninevites were wicked, wicked people. Vicious, malicious. Jesus came to die for all of us so that we could have peace and forgiveness. There's no way that any one of us in this room could have ever been more wicked than these Ninevites, and God saved them from their sins and from the eternal damnation. Now, that's supernatural. So what are those supernatural results of obedience that we want to talk about? Here they are. First of all, 
the first supernatural result of obedience is this. Jonah got his life right and began to accomplish the will of God. God used him in spite of his past. That is a supernatural result of obedience. That is applicable to all of us. That's one of those truths that, that apply not just to them, but all the way through. God can use you in spite of your past, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your failures, in spite of your direct disobedience even. Some of the things you did was when you were in sin, but some of your disobedience happened when you were living for him. And you still disobeyed and ran away from the call that was on your life, whatever that might have been, whatever it was he was saying he wanted you to do. That's a supernatural result that God would continue to use him in spite of his past. Number two, Nineveh, king and all, succumbed to conviction and were sorry and repented of their sins. Man, we could preach, we could preach a long time there, but I don't think it's necessary. Can you just get that picture in your mind, though? Think of the most wicked And all of you can, the most wicked and deplorable group of people on the planet. Who are they? Don't say it out loud, but we have it in our minds, don't we? The most wicked and deplorable people on this planet that we all pray God would destroy. And here they are, convicted, sorry, and repenting. That's supernatural. Have we dared... To change our prayer from God kill them to God save them? If they're as zealous against God, think how zealous for him they would be if they were saved. Something to think about, isn't it? Impossible? Not according to the story in Jonah. Insert whatever name of hate group you want. They're not any worse than the Ninevites. Yet there's 120 of them with their chickens and their pigs getting saved. You say, God saved the chickens and pigs? Eh, No. They don't have a soul, but it makes for a great story. They still fasted. Supernatural results of obedience. That's pretty supernatural, though, to see a town with 120,000 people and every animal in sackcloth. That's pretty supernatural. And here's what, to me, is the most impressive of all of these supernatural results. It's the third one. It's the way that God reacted. Big deal what happened with Jonah. Great big deal that happened with Nineveh. But wow. Check out God in this. Verse 10 may be the most impressive of all the results because it it proves what prayer and fasting and repentance and humility before God can produce. It could do it today just like it did back then. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. First of all, God saw what they did. Secondly, he saw that they turned from their wicked ways. He's convinced that they're truly repentant, that they're not just playing. He's convinced, God is convinced that they are truly repentant. So thirdly, God reconsidered his threat to destroy them. That's supernatural. 
And fourth, he didn't do it. That's what it says. He saw what they did. He saw they turned from their wicked ways. So he considered his threat to destroy them, and he didn't do it. That's supernatural. What can God do, and what would God do if I would just be an obedient vessel in his hands? If every time, if every time I just, in blind faith, did what he told me to do, what would be the results? Think to the times that you have been obedient. Think to the times that you did do what God told you to do. Think back on what those results were. Were people's lives changed? Were people saved? Were people healed? When you obeyed God and prayed for someone, you watched them be, watched the, have, you ever, have, have you ever had that opportunity? Have you ever prayed for somebody and you saw God heal them? Have you ever done that? You ever seen that? You want me to tell you something? That's supernatural. It doesn't happen every day. That's supernatural. It's miraculous. What would God do if all of us just obeyed him every single time he told us to do something? How much power would be in our lives? How many supernatural, miraculous things would be around us? What would people be saying about you if every time God told you to do something, you did it? You're at the grocery store and God says, see that lady over there? Yeah, she's got a bad headache. Go over and tell her she's got a headache and then pray for her. I'm going to heal her. And you did it. And as you walked out of the store, everybody said, wow. Wow. That lady had a terrible migraine headache and that person just prayed for me. And she says, it's gone. It's gone. I just, I just saw it. It's crazy. No, it's supernatural. Those are the supernatural results of obedience. That's what God does. Those are not surprising things. I say, that's what God does. Everything, what has God done that wasn't? He speaks, and that which was not suddenly is. Your very life, your very body, the way you function, you you don't even think about the way you're breathing. You don't even think about how your organs are functioning. You are a miracle. You are a supernatural being. You're not near the supernatural being you're going to be. But you're a supernatural being right now. The one you're going to be is going to be one that never even gets sick. Never dies, never gets old. That's supernatural. Everything God does is supernatural. So then God is just looking for people. He's just looking for people that he can do supernatural things through. You say, well, it'd never be me. Why, Jonah? Why? Because you don't want it to be you? Because you refuse for it to be you? Because you're afraid for it to be you? Because you disobey for it too much for it to be you? Because you refuse to walk close enough to him to hear his voice so he can use you? Why? Why else are you on this planet? You have no other reason for being. You didn't have to have a soul. You didn't have to be created. You didn't have to be put here. God chose you, picked you, wrapped flesh around who you are, which was a soul, put you on the planet for the very days that you are here because he had supernatural things he wanted to do and he wanted to use you to do it. Do it! How? Just obey. I don't know how to heal people. I don't either. I don't know how to prophesy. I don't either. 
it's not about that. It's just simply about me committing to a place every day where I say, Lord, here I am. I woke up this morning. Must mean you want me to do something. I'm still breathing. Thank you for the breath. Thank you for the mind. Thank you for the health. Thank you for the strength. Long as I have it, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Let me tell you why I know I'm going to be a success. Let me tell you why I'm going to be a success. It's not because I'm arrogant. It's because I so desperately depend on God. And every day I say, God, I'm not running. I'm not rebellion. If I am, show me. If I, whatever I'm doing is wrong, show me, Lord, because I don't want to. God, all my, all I, I tell him every day, all I want to do is do what you want me to do. That's it. I want to be your voice. I want to be your hands, your eyes, your ears, your feet. I just want to do what you want me to do. That's how I know I'm going to be successful. Will I fail? Yes, I fail all the time. Because I'm still wrapped in this fleshly body. I still have a, a carnal mind. and Man, I, you know, I'm crucifying it every day. Trying to, right? But I get to see supernatural things because I do it. No, I don't do any of that. I just walk around and the Holy Spirit says, go over there. So I just go over there and he says, look, and I look. He says, watch, and I watch. He says, speak, and I speak. He says, tell him, and I tell him. And then it's the coolest thing to stand back afterwards After he's done whatever he's done, stand back and say, man, that was really cool because I just had the best seat for that miracle. I didn't do it. I just got to be there because I was obedient. I just followed the Lord. This is what God did. Even for those of you who for the last two weeks have been really convicted by these messages... You think to yourself, you know, I have run so long from whatever it was he told me to do that maybe now he can't work through me anymore. Man, Jonah should encourage you so much if that's how you feel. You haven't had to go through the fish belly yet. You may have been in the storm. You might be in the storm right now out of disobedience, but you haven't had to go in the fish belly. Jonah should be an encouragement to you because here's why I want to point you back to that third part, the third thing that is supernatural, the the way that God reacted. This is what God did to Jonah. The reason he gives it to us is because he's showing this is what he will do in us. Even to those of us who are the ones who have ran, who have disobeyed, who have sinned, who have been rebellious, all those kinds of things. When you finally come back to the point of your calling, when you finally come back to the place of repentance... You're still going to be hit again, as we said, with the issue where you started. You can't go to the next place until you deal with one where God's got you. If you can't get over gossip, then he's not going to take you on and deal with your lying. Amen? You can't get over your pride, then you're not going to be able to get over here to the next thing he's going to deal with. He's going to bring you back to that place until there's victory in your life over that particular thing. If you don't get victory over that, you're going to spend the rest of your life repenting. You're going to spend the rest of your life one foot forward, two steps back. You're never going to get where you're supposed to go. Always going to live a life of, of constant conviction, repentance, not a lot of power. But if you will repent, he'll take you from this place to the next, give you victory over this place. Now be time to work on this one, but there'll be grace and power to, 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 to do that too. And then this is what he promises will be the result of whatever the ministry is that he gives you. It's the same thing. I want you to look at this. He will still send you. 
to proclaim his message. Regardless of what you did, regardless of how much time it took, look back at verse 10. He will still send you to proclaim the message. He will still see what they do with it. Just like back there, God saw what they did. God's going to send you and he's going to see how they receive it. In 10, he said they, he saw they turned from their wicked ways. So number three, he's still going to accept and acknowledge the sinners that you lead to him who repent, just like with Jonah. Number four, he's going to reconsider his threats to judge them to hell for their wickedness because you were obedient. Number five, he's going to save the lost and love them as his own children just as he did you. And he can use you to accomplish all those things. Nothing's changed. Verse 10. You could mark Jonah 3, verse 10. Put a circle around it, mark it all up, and say, this is what God will do through me if I will obey. He'll still use me. Folks will still be saved as a result. Folks won't be lost because I was obedient. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the responsibility of if you're not obedient, what happens to the people that God was going to reach through you, will he reach him anyway? Well, I'd like to think so. I would like to think that nobody's going to go to hell because you were disobedient. But boy, I tell you, it is a responsible place to be if you were the one that was supposed to speak and you did not. Maybe you were their last chance. So if God would still do these things, everything is found in verse 10. If God would still do all of this, that's supernatural. That's what obedience in your life right now can produce. God still pursues you, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done. God still pursues you. There's a, this is a major revival of 120,000 people that were saved through the obedience of one fishy-smelling man who came back to God, who came back to the calling on his life. He's not quite the same guy that he could have been if he'd have went when he was first called. He may not smell the same way he smelled before. He may not look the way he looked before. He may not walk the way he walked before. He may have some bumps and bruises that he would not have had to have had he went in obedience the first time, but he's still going to go. Look at this. Week one, we said we have to stop running or you'll pay for it. Week two, acknowledge that it's God who sent the storm and sent the fish. That's what we did. Week one, we said, man, it costs a lot to run. We got to quit running. So a lot of people said, I'm going to quit running. Number two, well, you've been through the storm. You've been through the fish. The reason why was because God loves you. And he said, okay, we understood God's the one that sent the storm. Week three is preparation to go to Nineveh. That's what week three is. I'm going to quit running. I acknowledge it was God. I repent now. That I tried. Now here's what I want you to catch. And this is, gonna, this is how we're going to conclude this. So God calls him the second time. Go to that great city Nineveh. And preach unto them. Cry out against them. Second time. After the fish. After the storm. And Jonah. Immediately. Went to Nineveh. Here's the point. 
it's not enough to stop running. It's not enough just to acknowledge who's pursuing you. Now you have to commit to go to Nineveh. God, I'm sorry I ran. God, I know it was you who was pursuing me that never stopped. God, I will go, but that's not enough. I will go. Now it's, God, I am going. Whatever that means. Now that may not mean that you're able to buy passage and get on a ship and head to Nineveh today. What that means is maybe God's saying, I hadn't changed my mind about where I wanted you to go to Bible college. Are you going to go? Haven't changed my mind about who it was I wanted you to marry. Are you going to break up with that person that you've been with that you know is not? I hadn't changed my mind about the neighbor down the street that I told you to go down and mow their lawn and take them groceries. Now, are you going to go to on the way home, stop at Walmart, and pick up some groceries and drop them off or not? You can repent. You can acknowledge. But when are you taking the groceries? Because I'm not going to let up. Until the groceries are in their cupboard. So you can cry and pray and blow your nose and wave hankies and shout and dance and run. All that's fine and dandy. When it's all said and done and you get in your car, I'm going to say, okay, do you feel good about yourself? Yeah, now go take those groceries. Now go sever that relationship. Now go start that ministry. Let's not talk about it anymore. I don't want to hear how sorry you are anymore. You told me two weeks ago you were sorry. You told me last week you knew that it was me that did it. Now, go to Nineveh. Amen? How do I get to Nineveh, Pastor? I'm not telling this. Some of these young folks are looking at me like, wow, I'm calling ministers. That means I should start pastoring a church tomorrow. Probably not at the age of 12. But what I am saying is, put that call over everything else now. Commit to that call above everything else. Somebody comes along and says to you, you know you can't make no money being a pastor. You're way too smart for that. You, why don't you go get your degree in this or that? Then you could have a job and then you could, maybe you could do, is that what God called you to do? Is that what God said? Then you got to pursue whatever it was God said. Start today. Start the pursuit of that today. Don't just pray. Don't just repent. Commitment means I'm going to put feet to this now. I am going to start walking to Nineveh. Might take me a long time to get there, but I but but here's what here is where the decision was made. Here's where the die was cast. From this moment on, I'm not walking there and I'm not walking there and I'm not going to go walk over there and repent anymore for not going there. From this point on, I have repented and I'm going to walk like this. No matter what hits me, no matter what comes at me, no matter what somebody says, no matter where they where, where else I might go, I am on my way to Nineveh. Hmm? What if I persist in that, Pastor? Oh, then you're going to have a lot of enemy uh, fighting against you. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself at Nineveh one day. You're going to find yourself calling out the message, whatever that was. You're going to find yourself at Nineveh. 
And then you're going to back up and see the supernatural results of obedience. And you're going to be like, wow, I'm so glad that I followed what God told me to do. I'm so glad I was obedient. It is so much more fun operating under the blessings of God than his curses. So much more fun being obedience than it is to be in rebellion. Lord, I'll go. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. For some of you, that means, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but I really don't. But for some of you, that means tomorrow you may be you may be sitting down today. You may be sitting down today writing up a new resume. You may have to leave the job you're at. Maybe the Lord's been telling you, I want you to take a different job. So you may have to go home today and prepare a resume. But, Pastor, I really don't want to leave this job. I'm making good money. I have security. I don't care. God has all the money in the world. He puts it wherever he wants to. You could, you could, you could take a $20,000 a year cut in pay from your job if you go where God told you to, and you'll be better off. I knew a guy one time. He's a pastor of a church right now. He, he was a manager of a, of a well-known business, and he was making a lot of money. He was making a lot of money. God called him into ministry. He got, he got saved. God called him. A door opened for him to, bo- to go be a youth pastor at a church. He gave up the business, went on staff at a church to be a youth pastor, and I think they were paying him like $200 a week. He was doing it full time. This dude was making a lot of money. I saw him a year later. I was really feeling sorry for him. I said, how are you doing, man? I mean, I was getting ready. To, I was about ready to hug him and pray and say, you know, you stay in there. The Lord will bless you at some point. You know, I thought it was going to be. I was like, how are you doing, man? How you doing? He said, I'm doing great. I said, well, how, you know, church is doing good. Yeah, group's growing. Man, I'm having a time of my life. I said, well, tell me about your finances. How are you making? He said, he said, I have as much money or more in my savings account right now as I had when I quit my job a year ago. I said, and this is the man of God's man of power and faith. How? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Now the man is a senior pastor of a church. And he's doing a great ministry. The supernatural results of obedience. Don't be afraid. Next week, we're going to talk about the blinding consequence of unforgiveness. But this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray. I want to pray for. uh, Before they leave, I want to pray for all of our, our youth that are headed to Honduras this week. I'm going to pray that God will open some doors for them. I want all of us to pray for them. We're going to gather around them. But right now, I want to ask you if you would just close your eyes for a moment because I want you to meditate on this word. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but it's not so that so that it's not for my sake. It's not so you can come forward or any of that stuff. I mean, you can if you want, but that's not why I'm doing this. I just want you to have an opportunity to acknowledge that the word is for you today. If you'd say, Pastor, this word was for me today. God God has spoken to me, and it's, and it's shaken me to my core, and I know I got some things I got to do this week. I, wanna, I, want you, I want you to raise your hand. Raise them up because I, I need to see you. Keep them up long enough until I tell you to put them back down because I'm, I'm making a, a, a conscious effort to look at each of you because I want to know who you are. Because I want to pray for you. I'm going to be praying for you. Keep them up. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, you can put them down. Lord, your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which it is sent to do always. Here's your word today. Preached in the best obedience that I know how. It's not my word, it's yours. It's not my call, it's yours. So here we are. We're acknowledging that this word has gotten into our heart, into our soul. And we can't ignore it. We can't rebel against it. We can't walk away from it. These folks with hands lifted this morning have some perhaps difficult decisions to make. I don't think, God, that you're asking them to go out and do anything drastic. I think what you're asking them to do is to start pursuing at this moment. Start the pursuit. Wherever they're at, you may have provided that for them at this moment. But for some of them, it may be drastic. Some of these single folks may have some relationships that they need to sever because they're being led in a direction that is not where you want them to go. So I pray that you give them the courage to lean on you, to sever these relationships and then lean on you. Some are afraid right now because they've been hearing your voice to speak to someone, to minister to someone, to to go help someone and they've just been afraid of how they would be received but today they know they've got to go and you're going to open the door and you're going to provide some of them have jobs that are about to change Lord they've been working jobs as a form of preparation for where they were going but now they're about to leave their job and they're about to start their ministry about to jump out of a nest Lord you provide for every sparrow don't you boost our faith Lord for those that are called to a pulpit ministry that have ran because they were afraid oh God today quicken their heart quicken their spirit wrench their soul I pray that they will again this moment at this moment feel that call the way they felt it the first time when you spoke to them whether it was at a youth camp or a children's camp or or at a revival or at a youth service or in in a a sanctuary service whatever it might have been they might have been outside working on a car Lord at some point they were they were seeking you and you called them And they put that on the back shelf and they thought, man, that might be kind of a novel idea. That might be kind of a cool thing. I'll come back to that someday. Lord, today you're saying this is the day. Stir up the gift that's in them, I pray, God. the next couple of minutes we're going to sit in silence while Neil leads us in this song and if that was you if you're one of those individuals that God is speaking to today 
I want you to take the next few minutes while he sings. I want you just to sit there in his presence quietly. Church, all of us, we're going to reverently just sit there quietly. We're all going to meditate on the word. We're going to pray. We're going to think because I want these people in the silence of this moment once again to hear the voice of God their father as he calls and encourages them. And in some cases, he even gives them instructions as to what is the next step, what he wants them to do. This I want them to hear this. I, I want it to be quiet. I want them to be able to sit and hear from God. So as Neil leads us, would you reverence this moment? <laughs>